Welcome to Always Be Vibing. I'm Lisa. And I'm Lisa. We are two best friends trying to bring spirituality down to earth, sharing our personal and sometimes hilarious stories around high vibe living. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we do give serious tips to help you manifest a more joyful and happy life. hope you enjoy the show and don't forget to subscribe so you can vibe up for a better life. Bonnie Baker is a hit Nashville songwriter and producer with a long list of writing credits such as Invisible for Hunter Hayes and My Sister for Reba McIntyre. She's also had cuts by Rachel Platten, Rascal Flatts and Sarah Evans to name a few. She penned the number one hit Ordinary Life for Chad Brock and the list goes on and on. Not only is she an incredibly talented songwriter, she is also a teacher at Middle Tennessee State University, where she teaches commercial songwriting, gender, and identity, as well as holding various workshops for ASCAP. She has the biggest heart, oozes creativity, and knows how to tap into that inner world that we here on the show can truly appreciate. Welcome, Bonnie. It's great to have you on our show. Welcome, Bonnie. Wow. I... I felt like you were uh, interviewing someone else. I was like, wait, did I show up to the, <laughs> to the wrong place? What's happening? No, no, no. You are awesome. And we're just excited to, to chat with you today. Um, you and I have written together in the past. But more recently, I was on a workshop that Bonnie hosted. And it was there that it really resonated with what we talk about here on our show. Um, you know, you touched on connecting inward for creating more fulfilling work. Um, so we have a lot of questions around that today, but before we go there, can you tell us your story about where you're from and what brought you to songwriting? Um, wow, that's a great question and I really appreciate it. Uh, um, I won't go all the way back, but just a, a touch on childhood as I grew up in Texas mm -hmm. and my father was a minister and very, very um, um, conservative, I guess would be a great way to say it. Like we didn't have radio or television in my household until I was probably well, like nine or 10 years oh, wow. old. So m my world was reading books and listening to the music that I could listen to. And I started playing piano when I was five. So because we always lived right next to the church, I would go to the church and have my own, I, I was an only child till about eight or nine as well. And so the church became my sanctuary in reality where I could go and play music for hours, um, you know, after school. So that is where my love of music came was it was just this really quiet, um, place for my, you know, just for me to be. Um, and, you know, a lot of what I played was what I was supposed to play. So I, I played by the rules. I was a, a rule follower, um, went to college, got my degree. I did start teaching um, at that time and, and got into teaching high school in the public school systems and just felt a huge disconnect with myself. I was not happy. I was not flourishing. Um, I struggled in my early twenties a lot. Um, I just, I struggled with depression and just really um, not a good fit. And so I had always loved music. I grew out of just church music and started listening to you know, great songwriters. And I, I would, I would love to tell you that I chose Nashville, you know, exactly. But what happened was I was playing for a summer down in Corpus Christi, Texas at a, uh, a hotel. There was a hotel bar and a piano bar. And I played there every night for a whole summer. And um, one weekend a George Strait Thing was happening and one of the 
one of the radio promotion guys from MCA, which is who George Strait was on at the time, said to me after coming in a few nights in a row, said, hey, if you ever want to make a trip to Nashville, I would love to introduce you to, you know, Tony Brown was the one who produced uh, George Strait, but his assistant was someone named Renee Bell. And he said, I would love to introduce you to Renee Bell and just let her know who you are. And so I started planning a trip to, to Nashville and I came and, and met with Renee. And I had always loved the Towns Van Zandt, Chris Christopherson, you know, Emmy Lou Harris, you know, and of course Dolly Parton, you know, these these just huge songwriters I didn't really think of as country songwriters. They were just storytellers. So um Coming to Nashville, I, I kind of came just to see if there was anything here that I connected with. And that first meeting um, <laughs> was pretty much a disaster. And I'll tell you that story quickly. And, and, and here's why um, I was so scared. I was so nervous. And uh, there was a place called Bobby's Idol Hour right down from MCA Records where Renee's office was. And I hadn't eaten all day and I got there and I had too much to drink. And then I walked down to my meeting and I was completely like, not good. <laughs> I go into to my, to my meeting and she kind of talks and keeps trying to ask me questions. And, you know, if you've ever been around me when I'm inebriated, I'm very quiet. Like, I don't say anything. And she kept trying to draw out, like, well, who are you? And where are you from? And all this. And just one word answers. And finally, she looked at me and she said, well, do you have any music to play? And I said, no, because all of my songs really suck. And so <laughs> she said, okay. <laughs> so she started laughing and she said, hey, do you want to smoke cigarettes? And I went, yes. So we raised the window and we smoked some cigarettes and sat. And she made me feel like I was the most important person in the world. Wow. And just talk to me like a real person. She could tell that I was scared to death. I was young, um, grew up in a little town, and just Nashville was a big mm -hmm. deal, right? And she, she could have just tossed me out and, you know, but she didn't. She took the time to get to know me. And so I started, you know, went back to Texas and started making my plans to move to town. And when I did, I met a lot of people from Texas. And that was kind of my, that was kind of my toe in the door is just, you know, meeting people that were from Texas, other writers, uh, producers, players, um, that we kind of all had that in common. So yeah, that was my first trip in I I can't say that I was headed toward writing country music. I just love storytelling. So it was all about really the lyric and the content and, wow. and that kind of thing. Cool. I have a couple of questions about this, if we don't mind. I <laughs> First of all, how old Not were you when you went there for, the, for that first time? And how long had you been writing songs by then? I started writing songs early, or at least what you would call poems or short stories and that kind of thing. I always loved writing in a journal, in a book. Um, I hadn't always put the two together, music with um, lyrics. They were kind of separate. Um, I was musical, but I wasn't a singer. So it wasn't always like singing. Um, I did play a lot of music for my sister. My sister and I had a little duo and she sang lead and I sang harmony. So I was never the lead singer, you know. So my my writing started around 15 and that first trip um, was probably 20, 21-ish, um, right after college. And, uh, 
and then it took me a couple more years or a few more years to get back to move here but um but yeah i would say uh 15 16 i started kind of really journaling i did morning pages when i was 18 which really was a big life-changing event for me someone gave me that book i don't know if you guys are familiar with morning I pages am, yes from that uh, book. that comes oh, the artist way the, the art the artist way yeah um uh, julie cameron is is the author's name and i i loved that program the uh i dedicated myself to write in the morning pages every day for a year when i was 18 which you know and her philosophy is in the morning you can siphon off those first mm. thoughts and it kind of helps with the creativity and uh so that really helped me around 18 to kind of and and to be honest i started my master's degree in creative writing because i thought i wanted to write mm -hmm. books and um my attention span is short so, <laughs> so I, and you had said you had been teaching uh were you a teaching by then or and like and i'm just curious because you said you came from a conservative family so what did they think when you did the big move out to nashville to be a songwriter Oh, it, 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 it did not <laughs> well. um, it, it, Those are, were not conversations, but uh, that's probably low on the list of uh, things that did not go well with my parents. Um, I was a quiet kid that followed rules, and then I went to college and started kind of discovering music and movies and art and um, expression of personality and opinions and that was not uh very welcome yeah. you know so we definitely had uh, a lot of mm -hmm. issues and still to this day my parents are still around and um we still have very differing um viewpoints and so we've had to learn how to just kind of live with each other um but uh i had been teaching i got done with college a little early so i was I started teaching when I was, I guess, 2021 20, in high school. I was teaching high school and then started my master's degree right after that. And, um, um, but, um, uh, the, the teaching and the writing and all of that, I, I, I was, my personal life was pretty much zero. So I just worked all the time, which was fine. Um, but teaching wasn't for me. It wasn't, I, in in that time in that place mm. public schools um just the rules and regulations of public schools are not they don't always match with my um ways of teaching so it it wasn't a good fit mm -hmm. so it sounds like you kind of gave up life as you knew it and moved to nashville like what about you or it uh because you going there, you had no, you know, no guarantees of success and you knew probably that you were going to struggle for a while and you probably didn't have work when you got to Nashville. So what kept you going? Did you just have this deep knowing that this was your path? You know, it, I, I kind of, that was a great question. I, and I hadn't really thought through it. So last night I was doing some thinking. So I worked evenings and weekends so i could save my daytimes you know nine ten o'clock till about three lisa you were in the community a long time that's when all of the writing happens exactly. is monday through you know, monday through friday around 10 o'clock to around three or four o'clock so i i knew if i could keep four to five days open during that time and then work evenings and weekends i would be okay so I have a teaching degree and, and everything, but I knew that I needed to work differently. Um, school teaching, you know, teaching school just takes everything out of you. So I needed a more physical job and less emotional job. So I worked in a gourmet food shop um, for, for the first several years where I literally, it was just a physical labor and um it was just with some really really good people i kept my rent as low as possible 
I drove an old Chevy Cavalier that was pretty much paid for. And um, I didn't have a lot of debt and um, outside of student loans and, and just living expenses. So I, I did this, you know, this combination of simply living, you know, on bare basics, working enough to pay for that. And then just showing up every day to any writing appointments I could get mm. is kind of how my first probably four or five years went. Wow. It was it was about four or five years from when I moved here that I signed my first publishing deal. So it took and that first deal was um, fourteen thousand dollars a year. So it, it and that was you know in ninety seven ninety eight. So. <laughs> It's a little more money then, but still, it was not full-time pay. But I was able to make that work pretty much, you know. Um, like I said, I always drove pretty simple cars, if I even had a car. I even went a few years with a scooter instead of a car <laughs> because it was so good on gas. And I always lived really close to downtown or really close to Music Row so I could be, you know, available if somebody could write on a certain mm -hmm. day my first my first co-writer was a guy named troy johnson who was from houston texas and he had a little house right on music row and i would go to his house and we would work upstairs every day i would make us sandwiches and you know what yeah. i mean you just you just you just like bootstrap it out you know yeah. you just kind of like um keep it super simple yeah, for sure i remember i don't know bonnie if lisa told you that i also went to nashville to pursue songwriting and i remember <laughs> i used to like drive up and down or walk up and down music road just to be like in case i bumped into someone or <laughs> just being there right being surrounded oh, yeah. by it <laughs> yeah Oh, yeah. And, and like you would go to the sandwich shop yeah. up at the top of, of really close to uh, to ASCAP there. Um, um, gosh, it's the name of the shop just went out of my head. And I went there like every day. Substop. Substop. Yes. Yes. We went to went to Substop like every day. <laughs> and um, you never, never knew who you were going to bump into. And um, that whole area has changed. I don't know if you guys have been here lately, but like just these tall, tall buildings and just a lot of modern, oh, wow. you know, new buildings. A lot of old buildings have been torn down. And I stopped in at a little sandwich shop in the bottom of one of those just a few weeks ago. And Scott Hendricks was sitting there, who, uh, you know, produces Blake Shelton, and he is in the Warner brother family. And I walked in and he was like, hey, it's like old times. And I was like, oh my God, it's so, so funny. Um, and at that, on that particular day, I, I ride the bus system when I need to. And so I was waiting for my bus at the little sandwich shop in this brand new building. And there was someone sitting there having a sandwich and it kind of reminded me of, of uh, of our of our years with Substop at the top of Music Row. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's pretty yeah. cool. Wow, I'm just kind of reflecting on what you said about taking five years, and you know, this is the thing. Looking back, it's like, of course, everything was going to work out. But when you were in those five years, and you know, your family didn't agree with you doing this and that sort of thing. Can you tell us a little bit about that feeling you just had? Like, was there this just sort of this knowing of like? well, it's going to happen, whether it happens tomorrow or five, 10 years from now, like this is where I meant to, you know, what I meant to be. Can you just tell us a little bit about that, that sort of knowing feeling or if you had one? I, I, you know, I, I think what I felt was I felt at home and I felt like I found people that I fit with and that had not happened before in my life. Um, I never felt quite comfortable in college and high school, I always kind of was different and um, didn't have a ton of people that I hung out with and that kind of thing. So when I got to Nashville and I got around people that we could obsess over a baseline for three hours <laughs> or, you know, are, are you 
doing that digital or analog because I went through the whole digital analog movement, you know, and, and when MP3 started. So I found people like myself that loved every little piece and part of like being in a studio was like my absolute dream. Um, just having players, what amp are they using? You know, um, what drum heads are the, is the drummer using and what board is in the, in the, in the control room. So the knowingness that I had, I think was almost subconscious because I was so in love with life when I got here because I found people that loved the same things I did. And, you know, we could talk for hours about mm. it and we, I could obsess over a lyric for days and days and days and um, always came into every writing appointment with four songs started and like, mm. you know, um, and there's a little bit of, you know, always got to be the first one in, last one out, over obsessive, you know, overachiever, that kid in school that really bums you out because they're just, you know, they're, they're trying to like, you know, make good grades and always have their hand up and that kind of thing. And, and there was a little bit of that in me. But I think what most people saw was just someone who loved what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And um, so like, I just have some of the best friends in the world that have been friends with me since those early days. So the knowingness was probably tucked down under there somewhere, but I also wasn't counting time. I didn't give myself a deadline. It was, it was just what I was going to do. Mm. I had already ventured into one career that I thought was the right one that everyone thought I should do and it struck out. I was literally the most miserable 24 year old, 22 year old, whatever. I had a serious alcohol addiction. I had a serious, you know, pill problem. I just had serious problems. I went to rehab for 28 days. I fought depression so badly and like just, just walking through this dark place constantly in my early twenties trying to be what everybody wanted me to be because mm. being a school teacher is that's a great field that's a you know that's a great job you know bonnie how can you not want to be a school teacher yeah. and it just wasn't you know what i was called to do it's what other people thought i was called to do so when i got here and i could just relax and exhale a little bit mm. and really do the things I love to do. Even the way pianos are made are just I'm mind boggling to me. Like <laughs> I study the hammers and the felts <laughs> and the strings <laughs> and, you know, I, um, I still very much work alone a lot. I still very much spend a lot of time doing research about a piano that was made in Germany in 1936, whatever. I, I just, I have this insatiable desire to know things and to explore things and how are things made. Yeah. And, um, and so when I found other people that felt like I felt kind of the outcast, and I think that's why Hunter and I connected so much when, you know, I met him when he was 15 and it's just like, we both were the kids in high school that, that we really sat alone eating lunch, you know, and not, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm saying that was the path I chose because that's who I was. Mm -hmm. And um, I was okay with that. And anytime I tried to like be one of the cool kids and hang out and stuff, it just, it did not go well, right. <laughs> you know? So um, I don't know that I knew that I would, get to do what I've done since 1997, full time, every day, Monday through Friday, I just was kind of determined to do it and didn't really think about it. And I, I remember not putting a, a time limit on myself. Mm. I knew that 
I could always go back to school. I could always teach down the road if I wanted to. Like having the degree may have helped me to kind of feel that way. Like I didn't have to hurry through my writing career because I needed to go back to college. Maybe having that already out of the way was a good thing. Um, But I just remember kind of one foot in front of another, you know, year after year. And I mean, five years is a long time when you're down in the trenches of writing song after song Mm -hmm. after song after song. Um, I tried to always get better. I've had good publishing deals and I've had not good publishing deals. And um, man, learning about the business side of it, learning the structures in town, the power structures, the politics. um, I mean, goodness. It's a, it's quite a town. You know that both of you do. Wow. So good. Um, Okay. So I was going to ask you about something that you had said in um, our workshop that we did not long ago, and it just had hit me pretty good. You said, don't look for outside validation. So that's hard. (laughs) I definitely struggle with that because, you know, anyway, I, and even if people listening aren't necessarily musicians or songwriters, how do you go about and keep the faith without always having to look for outside validation for what you're doing? Well, I, I am the worst at looking for outward validation. I've struggled with it my whole life. You know, you want parents to think you're good enough. You Mm -hmm. want parents to think you're, you know, a creative, good person, you know, so it starts with childhood and being in the music business is just, it's just ripe and ready for you to be that person constantly needing feedback and good feedback. And I love your song. I love the lyric. It changed my life. You know, yes. so there's, def- <laughs> there's definitely that outward um, need that I have that I have had to dig into myself and shift that language because the more I needed other people to tell me I was good, the less I thought I was good. And so in the last few years, I left my last publishing deal in July of 2018. And I have been on my own without a publisher for for these two years. And it's been the best two years I could have had. It was lonely. It was hard. It's pretty much having to go it alone, but there's not someone to turn songs into. Mm -hmm. And that's been the best thing for me in the world because I, I needed that validation and I longed for that validation so much that I completely got lost in it. And, you know, and then you're up against, is it a radio hit? And, you know, honestly, you two will uh, maybe will understand and identify with that with this. I don't recognize myself in current country music. I I'm not in there. Like they don't represent me and I don't drive a truck and I'm not going to drink a six pack of beer. (laughs) And, and once that movement started happening and we got away from the early Reba stuff mm-hmm. and, and, and Susie Boggess and, and the storytellers, the Gretchen uh, Peters who wrote Independence Day for Martina. And, you know, we have these hit songs that were not just this bro country. I had a more of a place. Shadaisy, Sarah Evans, Reba McIntyre, mm-hmm. you know, um, even the Hunter stuff and Hunter and I and, and our co-writer Katrina Elam have a Rascal Flats. So that's where that cut came from was some of the songs I wrote with Hunter. Those are not bro country type songs. And so needing validation, wanting validation, like aching for that was literally causing me to not write hit songs mm-hmm. because 
I just wasn't writing what came naturally to me. So, so interesting. Yeah. And, and I realized that if I kept waiting for someone to tell me I was doing a good job or a number one hit to tell me I'm doing a good job, that it may never come, you know, it may never come again. And so I have been on this journey of a, I started therapy a couple of years ago and I went in, you know, to someone who specialized in childhood trauma and we can trace all of this back Mm -hmm. to our childhood, Mm -hmm. that childhood survivor, that childhood person who got so hurt that they were constantly needing that validation Mm -hmm. until I could have a conversation with her and really start to figure out what it is that my eight-year-old self needed, I couldn't figure out what my older self needed. And so I just, I just made the comment the other day, cause I'm about to go in and do some recording. I want to write songs that I love. And if no one else loves them, I'm going to be okay with that. And so it's a journey and it's hard. And it's so hard when you, need to keep a publishing deal to have singles these days Mm -hmm. you know just a song on a record doesn't make any money so you have to have songs that radio will play well a they're not going to play females they're not going to play female artists well most of my cuts have been female artists or you know when when invisible came out with hunter that song ha- changed my life in a lot of ways. It's the only song I've ever had nominated for a Grammy. It's the only song that has reached the wide audience that it reached. But do you know what else it did? It got him out of the radio world. Like radio stopped playing oh, him wow. because they wow. they didn't like that song. And that was just a pivot point. And they... You know, all of a sudden they were not playing Hunter Hayes records. Wanted was one of the biggest songs, you know, of of our genre. And then Invisible comes out and it's nominated for a Grammy and country radio is like, nope, we're not going to play this. And so it, so it, it took him kind of out of that world, but yet it opened up this other world to him. And, you know, just a footnote, you know, Hunter's since moved out to LA and is making amazing music and is really, he speaks to his audience um, just as Hunter. He's not worried about country radio anymore. Right. And I have to tell you, you know, not being dramatic, country radio is ill. It is an ill system that is playing 7% or less of women, people of color are getting no airplay, maybe one or 2%, maybe 3% at times. It's mostly white male artists that are being played. And I just, I don't identify with that. I don't believe in that. And I believe that our genre is going to suffer they already are suffering in my opinion from it because they have there's no diversity there's no storytelling it just you know it's just same thing same thing same thing same thing over and over again there's not any difference between artists you know we have some out there the mickey guidance we have cam we have um you know, Carrie Underwood is doing some great work. You know, Marin Morris, who I respect like crazy. We've got Little Big Town that's got a female, you know, lead singer. And um, Kelsey Ballerini is doing some good stuff. You know, we have some females. Yeah. Um, but a bigger portion of that radio world is, is there's no room for people like me mm. on it. There's no room for differing opinions or viewpoints. So the need for validation was very debilitating Mm -hmm. to me. And the last two years, I've been trying to uncover where those roots come from and how can I undo some of those things and just write songs that I love and that I want to hear. Yeah, love it. And you're saying that since you've been doing this 
you're enjoying like it's been the best two years of your life did you say <laughs> yeah i think that's amazing i would say yeah i would say i've written you know i, I love songs from 20 years ago i do but the last two years i i literally just i write less songs many years i wrote 100 to 120 songs a year which is crazy and in the last two years i'm writing 45 to 50 a year i take more time on each song i really am deliberate about what the messaging mm. is um i've been involved in a documentary for the last couple of years which explores gay women in the music business and um they interviewed me for the documentary a couple of years ago and I started my first interview with them and finally in the middle of it I was like you know what guys I gotta I gotta take a break and um so we we stopped the interview and I I literally was just not in a great place I started writing some music uh the next few months out and um the documentary really helped me put into words some things I had not ever said out loud. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, because of that, I wrote a song called Dry County, which is now part of the documentary. The documentary is finished. We've been accepted into about seven uh, film festivals for 2021. And that was part of the reason. So the ending of my last publishing deal, which was about 10 years worth of, of catalog, the ending of that, the documentary, the writing of Dry County all kind of started happening at one time. And it let me know that I was walking in the right direction of acceptance and being able to say out loud, I am gay. I am in the world of country music. Um, I am not ashamed of that. And to to say to the world that yes, I have a family, I have a kid who's 17. And, you know, just be able to, to say out loud who I am and what I am, and what our family is, and that we're proud of who we are. And, um, you know, just, we're creative beings, even if we're not straight white males, mm -hmm. we are creative human beings who have something to say, and we have stories to tell. Yes. Wow. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, that's great. So, um, you kind of touched on this with talking about, you know, when you were 18 and you did those morning pages. Um, but when did you learn kind of the importance of tuning inward, you know, and how did that, uh, change your life when you decided to tap into that? Well, yeah. So, you know, growing up, in a religious home, you you know about prayer and you know about God and you know these things. And then as I grew up and kind of grew away from that, it didn't connect with me. And um, and then you kind of, you know, then I started kind of wanting a meaningful life, you know, like you want life to mean something you want, like when you, when you're going through the darkest periods of, of life, you want to have something to pray to or say. And so meditation and learning about the universe and spirit and that it wasn't just inside a church became kind of a quest for me. Like, what is life after church? Mm -hmm. You know, what is, what is prayer after church? What is, um, kind of a spiritual walk and life and language that's not a religion? You know, um, I, I just, I ran away from religion because it was so harmful and so hurtful to me as a kid. And just, you know, those years in a church on a pew with people that were really mean and really awful and so i kind of ran away from religion and i went for many years without really a faith i didn't have anything to hold on to and as life goes on 
And I swear to God, it's when you have kids, you're like, I got to have something to pray to because I got this little thing in my arms and I have no freaking idea. <laughs> I had no idea, so no idea how to, how to be a parent. In fact, my kid and I took a long drive this weekend because I just needed to say, you know, they they just applied to colleges and got accepted to two. And, and so I was like, oh my God, I'm going to throw up. I can't believe this is here. And I said to my kid, I said, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And um, I mean, he's been my teacher. I truly have an indigo child. I have one of the wisest human beings on the planet. And, you know, my prayer life and my meditation and my desire to be connected to spirit came when I became a parent mm -hmm. because I was like, I have no clue what to do with this kid. And, um, we want to be wise for our kids and we want to be creative for our kids and we want to provide for our kids and it is a tall order that's a lot and so i swear i think my meditation my inward life started 17 years ago and has continued and i've grown and grown and i still don't know i mean i like I've taken him to temple, like we go, we go to, you know, part of our family is Jewish, so we'll go to temple, and then I've taken him to an Episcopal church, and we can have just an amazing time there. Becca Stevens is one of our uh, Episcopal uh, leaders here in our town, and she is phenomenal. And then I can listen to a podcast and feel spirit or God or church or whatever it is that you need to feel. And, um, you know, I worry sometimes because I haven't made my kid go to, you know, a structure every week. Um, but I think they have a huge understanding of what the universe and God is all about. And, and I hope that they're learning that. So the inward journey for me started because of a kid and then has gone on further lately because I felt this disconnect between my creative life and my spirit. And I'm going to tell this one last story because I know I'm getting long winded here. That's <laughs> that good, happened. good. We love um, it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told you guys I started therapy a couple of years ago and we were working on trauma as, as, you know, in our childhood. And as I'm growing and learning and going through some of these trauma things, I told her that I always felt disconnected from my body. Like I just never felt completely in my body. And I said, to the point that I have a hard time playing in rhythm. Like if I put a click track on, I have a hard time playing. Like I always just felt this, you know how there's latency whenever you're recording vocals and it's just like, you say the word and then it's just a little bit late. That's how I felt in my body. And the longer I went to therapy and started kind of figuring out how to pull myself into my body more spiritually, that started to disappear. I can play in time oh, wow. and I don't struggle with that anymore. My fingers, I literally felt myself in my fingers in the last year, more so than I ever have. I'll put a click track on and I can play in time. And I tell people that there is a huge connection yes. between our spirit and our creative mm -hmm. life. Because the deeper we go into ourselves, the closer we get to the genius that we are. I believe we were created to create. Mm. That when you create, you are as close to God as you are ever going to get. And the more that you take care of your soul and your spirit, the more you're going to create. Because that is holy. That is absolute holiness is to create something. Mm -hmm.
That's oh beautiful. My God, I love that. I do too. I do too. That's so, so beautiful. All of that. Oh man. I'm totally quoting you on some of that stuff. Like <laughs> you just explained <laughs> that so beautifully. Yeah. We do. We often, uh, on every show we like to do a little quote. So I'm going to steal that from you for sure. <laughs> nice. Well, it, it is just, it, and you can, I, I just feel alive in my um, life and, and my work now in a way that I haven't ever felt. And so I'm always excited to talk about it because it just, it reminds me what these two years mean to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, they, they just mean everything. And I, you know, I kind of, I, I hit, a place a couple of years ago and I was like, okay, maybe I'm supposed to retire or stop writing or stop creating, you know, maybe it's time for me to stop because I was so burned out. And then to find this new life and this new place in my, you know, creative spirit to go, oh, wait, I still have purpose. You know, I still have something I want to say. And, um, that's why I create it so I can tell stories. Awesome. Amazing. Lisa, you want to go ahead? Yeah, I'm just trying to, uh, I know we ch- chatted a bit about, you know, how it took you five years to get a publishing deal. But if you were to look back, like what was the moment, if you have one, of like, yes, I made it or this is success? Like what does success mean to you? Um, I think the biggest milestone that I kind of had tucked away in my brain um, was to have um, to pass 10 million albums sold because I could see coming on the horizon a time when albums were not as important. But to me, growing up as a kid, it would be song number seven on an album that wasn't a single, but it was my favorite song on the record. And so I, I did cross that mark um, in the last couple of years of, of having songs on 10 million albums. And so that was a mark that I, and, you know, it was just kind of quietly at home adding up on a piece of paper. I was like, oh, okay, I crossed that mark. Um, so that was that was a journey that I was excited to see pass a certain mark. Um, you know, I've had some I've had some um, um, you know some songs do well and and have awards for that, but I just I was not in a good place like spiritually, emotionally during those times. So I have made the commitment that I would like to, you know, receive an award before it's all over with and be completely sober and completely within myself and completely present and thankful and grateful. So I've asked for that in the future is, is to be able to experience some of those moments and, uh, and just be in a healthier mindset. Mm. Nice. Love that. Um, yeah, uh, we were just thinking too, like, do you ever have that small voice inside your head? Like, have you ever listened to your intuition and it's led you to something great? Like when you're like, you know, I know this is what I'm supposed to do with this song or with this person or whatever. Does anything stand out like that where you kind of tuned into your inner voice? Yes, I, I'm a big believer in our gut instinct is it, that that feeling you get um is actually very very smart and i can look back at my career and i have too many instances where just things happened and they seemed random but i followed my instinct and they just worked out and um um so yes i have i i have many stories and i won't go into all of them but literally um you know, I hadn't been in town very long. I hadn't written many songs, but a friend of mine said, hey, somebody dropped out on Friday night at the Bluebird. Will you fill in for them? And I didn't feel prepared. 
but I knew in my heart I needed to say mm -hmm. yes. And so I said yes and then worried about it forever. <laughs> but I went and I went and played um, that show. I may have even had to play one song twice. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying I was not very deep into it. But in the audience that night, I mentioned I was from Texas and a guy named Brett Beavers was sitting in the audience who was playing bass for Martina Brickbride at the time. He's also from Texas and then ran into him randomly just a few weeks later. And he was like, you're from Texas. And I'm like, yes, we got to talking. He introduced me to Troy Johnson, who was also from Texas. So that gut instinct to do something when it was out of my comfort zone, I look at time after time when I said yes and then figured out how to show up and do my best and and for doors to open because of mm -hmm. that. Um, I, I can point to a lot of times. I also can point to times that I thought I was following a gut instinct, but I was wrong and made some wrong turns. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I'm learning how to fail and fail bigger and bigger. You know, it's just like fail in a good way, in a big way with no apology and then pick myself up and just do it again. You know, just fail bigger yeah. next time. And I, I feel like that's so important. And I think that's the message that a lot of adults are now trying to share with their children growing up, like failing is okay. And, uh, Gosh, I just commend you for going through like past push, pushing past your comfort zone because I swear like that's that was my biggest problem when I was trying to do this is just I just had no courage like I was chicken, <laughs> especially if I wasn't prepared. I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> so that's amazing. Well, and, you know, I, yeah, I and I, I, I won't go too far into this, but I feel like that's a female energy like we are 10 times more prepared than a lot mm. of times our male counterparts. Yeah. And yet they will walk in half prepared with three times the amount of courage, or I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna say courage, three times the amount of just like sureness mm -hmm. of what they're doing because they just have this thing. And, and, and the class I've been teaching is, you know, we're talking gender and it's like, you've got feminine, you've got masculine. And there's this, this, this female energy. That's like, I have to be more prepared than anyone else around me to show up. And it's like, that is soul sucking because we're not allowing ourselves to explore or get uncomfortable and and make mistakes and then learn from our mistakes and i would say you know i watch critics and things like that talk about what somebody's wearing or how screechy their voice is or you know sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. love it That's my daughter sorry about the screaming it's okay don't worry a minute no it's all good <laughs> but i i just feel like as females we we expect so much perfection out mm. of ourselves that we shut ourselves down. Like, you know, I can't color my hair pink. What if somebody doesn't right. like it? You know, it's like, do who you are absolutely a hundred percent. And, and if, if someone doesn't like it, let it just kind of be okay. Somebody doesn't like it, but I take it to heart. If somebody doesn't like my work, I can curl up in a, you know, a ball for three days and, and really be affected mm -hmm. by that. And, uh, and yet I'm always trying to be over-prepared for everything. And so I, I, I think it's an interesting study to look at how masculine feminine energies come into creativity and how we can kind of, you know, heal ourselves from some yeah. of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love all that stuff. I could talk about that forever too. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's just it's it's such a, you know, I I'm like just as a writer, creator, artist, all of those things, that perfection that's sitting on our shoulders trying to get us to 
to want to be perfect, you know, perfect at everything, um, it's really doing us mm -hmm. a disservice. It really is. Yeah, and I mean, it takes a long time to chip away and get out of that state. Like, I know I used to be way worse myself at like what will people think what people think but in doing you know these different spiritual practices and just you know having that awareness of the thoughts in my head and how I can reframe things here and there and it's just it's becoming it's so liberating if you can get past it I mean I'm not there yet but I've come a long way where I uh I don't have to care right. as much <laughs> because you know what we're learning even through I mean as bad as social media is parts of it is you're learning that if one person doesn't like something one other person might like so it doesn't matter you're gonna find your people they're out there you're gonna find you're gonna yeah. find your tribe you're gonna find the tribe that supports and loves you and and is there for you right. no matter what and um and and also i'm here to get it right, not to be right. You know, that's one of the things I'm learning. It's like, I wanna keep working at something until I get it right. I don't have to show up and right. be right. You know, and I, I just, I grew up with this attitude that everything rested on my shoulders and I had to, I had to be that perfect kid. You know, I had to show up and follow every rule and be the right weight and the right, you know, look on my face and have my makeup done perfectly and my hair done perfectly. And I was just the kid that was out in the yard playing and, and sweating and my hair would be plastered to my head and my mom would be like, you know, that's not what a girl should look like. And I'm like, I don't know what a girl should look like. You know, I don't know what a girl should act like. I just know how I want to be. And it was always messy and it was always you know, I had fallen down and torn my dress a little bit or something and just always a little something about me that wasn't perfect. Mm. And so I just was always on myself for not being perfect. And I spent so much energy and so much time wanting that perfection and that acceptance and all of that. And it, yeah. it's just not there. Well, Bonnie, you've just given us so many nuggets of wisdom and shared so much. And we so appreciate mm -hmm. uh, you coming on here and sharing all of your stories with us. Um, where can our listeners find you to learn more about you and connect with you? And yeah, can you tell us where they can find you? Yeah, so I have a website, www.bkermusic.com. So www and it's baker but no a b-k-e-r music.com and then on instagram i am um um i should know that's these okay things and then i don't <laughs> we can always uh, put it in the show notes in, too uh, I'm like, yeah instagram i think i'm b jewel b and then on uh twitter those are the only two i have are instagram and twitter it's just at b jewel b and on my uh, on my website, uh, there's a way to email me, and I would love to stay in touch with anyone. I love these conversations. I do feel like uh, musically, creatively, artistically, in the theater, you know, in in movies and TV shows, I see women starting to really show up, and I'm excited to be part of that and just just supporting i support you guys so much i love when lisa told me you guys have a podcast mm -hmm. i love this and uh um i love just getting you know i feel like i didn't get to know you guys at all but i do know lisa from before but that's yeah. been a few years ago and i you know anything i can do for you guys from here please let me know i love i love just knowing what's going on with people how they're showing up and being creative and and uh, um, just exploring these conversations together is, is such a for powerful sure. thing mm -hmm. for us to do. Great. Well, thank you for that. And yes, thanks again for coming on and sharing, sharing you. It's just, it's been wonderful getting to know you, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lisa. <laughs> and Lisa, I love that y'all have 
like it's, you got it's, it. it's Lisa yeah. times two. So it's like <laughs> if one Lisa is good, you've got to have two of them. I love so it. So Lisa squared, except we're not square. We're super we're cool. Yeah. Just kidding. You're not square at all. Awesome. Super cool. I love it. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for the indulgence for some long-winded answers, but um, I really appreciate being able to tell the story. And the documentary hopefully will be out in in 2021, oh, so and it's called Invisible. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, so amazing. I would love to. Um, Emmy Lou Harris is in it. Um, Linda Ronstadt actually sings a little bit. She was interviewed for it, and uh, so there's just some amazing moments and we we touch on church and creativity and you know just female energy in the world and so i can't wait for people to see it i hope we can get it out there and um, um so documentary coming early 2021 i hope it's called invisible get in touch with me on the uh on my uh, website um i try to put some stuff up on the w workshops and all that kind of stuff so I'd love to know everybody that you guys and For stay sure. in touch with both of you as well. Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that. So I'll have my eye out for sure. Okay, Bonnie. Excellent. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bonnie. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know by subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes. We love hearing from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and email. It's all in the show notes, so track us down. Things that make you feel good. Have a beautiful day. Remember to always, always be vibing. vibing.